I am really thrilled to introduce my guest today, Callum Howes from Adulting with Autism on Instagram. Callum has a great account. I love how he speaks about autism. I love how he speaks about LGBTQ+. He is just a stellar human. Callum has such a heart. He has such an amazing insight, and he just shares from such a place of, of just self-awareness and truth. Welcome to the Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show, the talk show for late-identified autistics, where each week you will hear the autism journey of another late-identified person, including the hardest part, the best part, and insights they share just for you. So you know you are not alone on this journey, my friend. Find your person and community here each week. And don't miss these special editions of Creator Spotlight and Hot Topic with your hostess with the mostest, Social Audie. That's me, Carol Jean. Let's get started. Callum Howells, welcome to the show. Hi, Carol Jean. Thank you so much for having me. And that was a really kind introduction. Thank you so much for your nice words. Oh, hey, I just speak the truth. I mean, your account really was one of the earlier ones that I found when I got into the online autistic community. And it was just such a really great account to be a part of because of what you share and how you share it and just the way that people engage um, with your questions and, and with your posts. It's just such a really warm, welcoming place and space that's super safe to be because, you know, people can share how they're feeling and what they're thinking. And it, it's just always loved and embraced and supported. And I love that about you. <laughs> Thank you. I've tried to make it as hospitable as possible. So everyone who has something to share can share it. And I have to say, I'm so taken aback by how many people do comment. And I love this this genuine sense of community there. I will write a post and I will respond to comments, but often so many people will just be conversing with each other. They'll go off on tangents. And it's really wonderful to see there's this community almost within my posts. It really is. And it's so, it's so fun. And, you know, as somebody that it also hosts an account, when you see other people start to engage with one another, oh, that is just like the best, the best thing to experience because you're like, oh, I'm so glad you guys found each other. <laughs> exactly, especially when they start making friends and they're saying, oh, you should check out my blog. And then they're checking out someone's blog and then they just develop this friendship and it's so, so beautiful to see. And Instagram, I have to say, has probably been one of the absolute best places to make friends. I agree 100%. I feel like I've got more friends now than I ever have, none really in person, but a lot online. <laughs> and that's really beautiful. I think Instagram generally just has this really beautiful vibe about it. There's not really that negativity that you might find on Twitter and it's more active than some of the other social medias like Facebook. So I think it's just a wonderful place to meet people. Oh, it definitely is. And I, and I have met you through it. So that to me has always just been a really great boom. <laughs> Likewise. So Callum, tell me, how did, first of all, we're going to start with this one. How did you come up with the account name Adulting with Autism? I mean, it's just, it's so perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's interesting because the name itself is sometimes really controversial because of the whole with autism part. It's funny because I didn't intend it to be a human being with autism. 
it was more adulting with autism being in your world because I planned on drawing on my experiences as an actually autistic person, but also my experience as one of many carers to my autistic sister and also drawing experiences of my other autistic relatives. So it was meant to represent the fact that autism is such a big part of my world and a huge part of my adulthood. And that I was going to share my journey in so many different ways. But yeah, some people do find it a little controversial, but I agree, I really do like the name. And honestly, I can't take any of the credit for it. I wish I could, but I was just trying to go to sleep one night at about 11.30 p.m. I was tossing and turning. I wasn't anxious about anything. My mind was just really worrying. And out of nowhere, this voice just said to me, Callum, you've got to create an Instagram and it needs to be called Adulting with Autism. No further ideas or inspiration came at that stage. I just quickly jotted it down on the notes in my phone, let it rest. And then in the morning, I started thinking, this wasn't just a late night idea I had. This is actually something that I felt was really divinely purposed and just given to me. So I have to really roll with it. And then the account was born. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I love it so much. And it's it's a very um, relatable and it's story. And it's something that has happened to so many that have been on this show that are like, I was laying there. It was just like sort of this divine inspiration that hit me. And it's usually like late at night or early in the morning or when you're not thinking about it, doing something totally different, which is one of the really beautiful things about the brain and how the brain works. We have this thing called the default mode network. And the default mode network also is sometimes referred to as mind wandering in neuroscience and psychology. And what happens is there are different parts of our brain that when we are not consciously concentrating on something, that if we're just daydreaming or, you know, we're brushing our teeth and just sort of thinking about running through sort of what we're doing for the day, we're not really specifically paying attention to something. Our brain goes into what's called the default mode network, but it's only slightly less active than when we're actually concentrating on something. And in the default mode network, that is when your brain is making all these really amazing connections. And it's where these great ideas come from. (laughs) That's good to know. I had no idea about that. You know me, I always got some kind of little science inside on stuff. <laughs> That's good though. It's really helpful to know because I think the best ideas often do come when I'm not even trying to have ideas. I even think about that when I'm writing posts. I used to, when I first started the account, really think, oh gosh, I need to upload X amount of posts per week. What should I discuss now? But nowadays I just let the posts come to me. If an idea hits me, I write it down. And then when I get time, I actually go and create So I think it's so important to let your mind do that wandering. Otherwise, if you try to force anything in your life, it's just not going to be the best that it could be. No, it really doesn't. It doesn't work as well as when you just sit back and just let things flow, because then your brain is connecting areas that it would not have done had you been forcing it. Exactly. And the universe doesn't like it when you try and force stuff either. It just doesn't. It never works out well. I just, I, that has really been a huge part of my late identified autism journey is to step back and to not force or push things. Cause boy, I was really bad about control loving behaviors. (laughs) I was exactly the same. And I started thinking about everything a couple of years ago and I sat there And I just realized that everything I tried to make happen, every relationship I tried to make work, every career I tried to make happen, all of it just failed spectacularly. 
Yeah, all of my blessings in life were the things that I hadn't put any effort or energy into. They just seemed to happen by themselves. And that's really motivated me now to think I can't be so controlling. I can't have these set ideas. And regardless of that need to control everything, I just need to sit there and let life take its course. Obviously, it's important to contribute to your world and to not just sit at home doing nothing. Life's not just going to make itself happen. But I think having that kind of ambivalence towards what it is you're specifically doing and being open-minded and open-hearted to anything that comes your way is just a really important way to go about your life. Oh, so beautifully said. So beautifully said. So Callum, would you mind sharing with us your autism journey? What brought you to the autism world? So my sister was diagnosed autistic in 2001, 2002. So she was just an infant and she was diagnosed autistic and also with global development delay. So she has probably the mental age of an 18 month year old and she's had that all of her life. She has so many other co-occurring conditions now. So autism has always been a part of my world. And what's interesting is when my sister was diagnosed, there was this huge focus on her being autistic. Everything was explained by her autism. And the fact she couldn't speak, the fact she didn't have great motor ability and the fact that her brain just wasn't developing, that she had communication difficulties, everything was explained via autism. So years down the line, I had an eating disorder. I was about 14. And because of how the UK system works, I was seeing a multi-specialist in CAMS, the child mental health unit. And the specialist I was seeing for my eating disorder treatment was actually an autism specialist as well. And when she had the, her first chat with me, I didn't realize this until recently, but she even put ASD in a question mark and brackets because she picked up on my potentially having autism during our first ever chat. So that was the start of my journey, although I didn't realize this until a few years later. And Eventually, I was given a diagnosis, but the diagnosis was not shared with me at the time because my eating disorder recovery was so volatile and so delicate. So many different diagnoses were not shared with me at the time. So I got my official diagnosis in 2011, which was when I was 15. And I didn't find out about it until I was about 16, 17. And then when I did find out that I was autistic, I didn't engage with it straight away and I automatically assumed it was a misdiagnosis. Not because I saw autism as this terrible thing, but it just didn't feel like something that applied to me. And that's because of my sister's journey all those years before, where absolutely everything she experienced, all the challenges, they were explained solely via autism. Yes, she had global development delay, but nobody in the medical profession ever seemed interested in discussing that. It was all perceived as just being autism. So when I was diagnosed autistic, I was thinking my lifestyle and everything I do is so different to my sister's journey. So it really didn't feel like something that fit. And I tossed it to the back of my mind for a while. And then quite interestingly, so many other family members of mine started getting autism diagnoses. My aunt, my cousins, and they are much more similar to me in terms of their skills and abilities and their needs. So then I started thinking, oh, autism actually is a spectrum. This is something that nobody ever thought to tell me. When I was diagnosed, nobody ever thought to tell my parents. We just had to figure everything out ourselves. And it took such a long time to get to that point. 
Callum, I think that happens to so many of us. We get our identification and we're just like, yeah, that's, you know, because my son got his first. And I was like, well, we're kind of similar, but we're not. And I don't know that this necessarily applies to me. Maybe it's just a misdiagnosis, like, you know, the other strings of decades of ones that I had. So I think that that happens to so many of us, especially when we we have, you know, like one person specifically in our life. And this is how it shows up in their world. But it's different in ours. So we're like, well, I don't know. I haven't reconciled that yet because part of the process, I think, for all of us is that we go through this identifying what it is in our life. What is autism to me? You know, how does it show up in my life and in my world? And that's a really big foundational piece in the unveiling method that I do is, you know, what is autism to you? What does it mean to your life? And how does, how do you perceive it in your world? You know, sensory sensitivities, you know, you and I both, we've talked about this. We have lots of sensory sensitivities and, you know, noise and things like that are really can be overwhelming. But I just thought that's how everybody experienced it. They just figured out how to handle it better than me. (laughs) Right. I thought that too, because you only have one brain and one body. It's not as though you get to experience what your friends go through or what your family goes through firsthand. You're just seeing everybody else go about their business. Nobody else is complaining that it's too hot or that material hurts when you wear it. So I often just thought for the longest time that I was just really struggling with things. I was always told that I was sensitive. I never said in this derogatory way. So I thought maybe I'm just not very good at life. (laughs) I think so many of us have had that same experience, but that's part of, I think, the really beautiful process of of going through and, and sort of reintroducing yourself to yourself, letting go of all of the exterior things that you've picked up in your whole life and to be able to stand back and go, you know, I'm just going to start from where I am right now. And I'm just going to really start looking at my life now that I know these different things about myself, that my brain is wired differently, which also means my body is wired a little differently. My sensitivities are different. Everything about me is a little different than what I have been comparing myself to, because that's really the key is what have I been comparing myself to? And when you do that, you're able to go, you know, that sound to me sounds like a megaphone. How does it sound to you? And, you know, a good friend and they can go, well, I don't know. It's just kind of like this little muffled sound. I'm like, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, this is making more sense. I'm like, well, to me, it actually sounds like somebody screaming through a megaphone. And they're like, wow, really? That must be hard. I'm like, yes. They're like, that explains a lot about why you don't like to go to certain places with us. I'm like, there you go. <laughs> Doesn't it though? And it's not that I don't want to be with you. It's not that I don't want to do stuff with you. It's that that is just like, horrific for me and they didn't know it and I didn't know it (laughs) yeah and you've touched upon a very important point there because often with our sensitivities it's not just a case that we don't like a particular activity or a particular sound or a particular environment it's more that it physically harms us in some way no it will not kill us but it is just really horrid to enjoy it's not us just being a bit difficult or that we would prefer it to be a bit quieter. It actually is something that's really overwhelming and challenging for us to handle. Absolutely. So Callum, with you getting this identification as, as you were about 14 and going through this process, 
you know, when did you finally sort of become fully aware of it? Because I mean, you know, so many of us put it on the back burner and we're like, yeah, I don't know. When did you really start to dig into it and embrace it and sort of say, I'm going to see how this applies to me. I mean, your, your aunts and your cousins were getting diagnosed and you're like, okay, this is sort of, sort of lining up a little bit more. Where did it go from there? So I think the starting point for me was when it came to my exam season, when I was doing my A-levels. So college age, about 18. And I just found that I had a really easy time memorizing information for exams. There were some situations where I just didn't understand a topic, but I could memorize a textbook page after about 30 minutes. And so many times before exams, I thought, you know what, Callum, you know, this is going to go up. Just quickly read that page and make sure you remember it, go into the exam. And then I thought afterwards that nobody else could do this. I thought maybe this is an autistic thing. It just kind of hit me and I did some Googling. And then I realized that that's a common thing with autistic people having that photographic memory and just having a really strong long-term memory anyhow and being able to memorize a lot of data very quickly. So it's just little situations like that were when I started thinking much more about myself. And then gradually, probably over a three or four year period, especially having conversations with my aunt and everything she encounters about social anxiety and difficulties with social interactions that are unplanned. That was when the pieces started to come together. What's a really interesting thing that I found is that I can't really pinpoint a situation or time period where everything made sense and came together. I think because there's so little understanding in the medical profession about autism and there's such little communication as to the realities of being an autistic person that it's just so there's not this one time period where you have all of the information and you can fully understand yourself autism is practically a lifelong journey and that's not even living your life that's just gradually understanding aspects of yourself so I think even today I'm learning things all of the time and I think on Instagram my comment section is so useful to me obviously I enjoy interacting with everyone but I'm learning so many things all of the time and so many other creators writing brilliant posts and it's so wonderful because I feel that as a community we're coming together and teaching each other so many different things but there isn't one specific cyclopedia or one specific place where you can go to get everything you need to know about autism and to fully understand yourself. I think that is such a good point to raise because that is so true. This is not just a journey with a destination or an expiration date of, you know, in the next year, you're going to know everything you need to know about autism and your life and how it affects you and, and how you interpret it. It is a lifelong process. I mean, until you truly expire, <laughs> you're going to be learning something new about yourself and about others and your place in the world every day. And that it truly is one of, the, I think, the best parts about, uh, our autism community and how we share because so many people, I mean, I do it too. It's just like, Hey, have you guys ever experienced this? Or I had this happen. Uh, does anybody else ever have this happen? And it's just, it's like, Oh my gosh, me too. You know, it's like, it's just, it's like, I always tell everybody you're not alone because I think so much of our lives have been spent feeling like we are the only one that we're alone. Nobody else feels this way, thinks this way, has had these experiences. And it's like, you show up in the autistic community, you know, you've learned you're autistic and you start asking some questions or just reading. Like so many people were just like, 
we're just sitting back like I did for a while. I just sat back quietly and I was just reading everything already said. I wasn't going to post anything because I didn't even know what to post. But, you know, you just start taking it all in and you're just like, wow, I'm not alone. For the first time in my life, I'm finding people that that have had similar experiences. And it's such a relief. It is. It's so inspiring to know that there's others that feel the same as you. But more than that, it's just so validating to know that everything you're experiencing, you're not just struggling because you're incapable. You're not just having a really strange perspective. You have a different brain and that's really impacting everything that you do and everything that you go through in life. So I think just having numbers there and to see other people having the same experience or a very similar experience to you is just so powerful. It definitely is. The Callum, if you had to say what has been the hardest part of your autism journey for you, what would that have, what is that? I would probably say the hardest part has been the general lack of knowledge and understanding both that I've had, that the medical profession has had, and just generally those around me. I think the biggest challenges that I face as an autistic person, I'm sure many others would agree, although I can't speak for other people, is just the ignorance out there. And not necessarily ignorance that comes from a bad place, but just a lack of awareness and knowledge of what autism is and how it can impact the brain and how it can impact how people experience things. So I think for me, the hardest part has been just not knowing about myself, not really understanding certain things and having to wait so many years to get explanations. And often they're ones I've had to find myself. I do think there's a real beauty in that journey because it's quite a unique journey to go through in life where you're learning about yourself to such an extent every day. I know neurotypical people say they learn about themselves and of course they do. And we're always developing and growing as humans. I think when you're autistic and you don't have the very basic information about your brain, everything is such a huge learning experience. And that's beautiful, but that can also be very challenging as well. And especially when you do get to that place of understanding, because other people don't necessarily understand. And even if you explain it to them because they don't experience it firsthand and they've not heard it from anybody else, sometimes people can be gaslighting or they can still be slightly ignorant. And that can be very challenging when you're trying to explain something that you're going through. One of the things that I didn't realize until I got into the autistic community is how I always seemed to relate to other people was I would share what had happened to me that was similar to let them know that I had experienced something and I understood how they felt. Well, apparently that is not a neurotypical thing. <laughs> They think you're just like being totally self-centered when you do that, which I had no clue. I'm thinking, I'm sharing with you that I understand and I get it. And that's how we talk to each other, to let the other person know, the other autistic person on the other side is like, I've been through this too. Yeah, I totally get that. And it's and for us as the autistic person on the other side of that, they're like, oh, good. Okay, you get this. You know, and we just keep going. But that's not the conversation that happens if you're a non-autistic to an autistic person. <laughs> and just that awareness alone was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I know it's a huge learning curve because then it makes you think about every social interaction you've ever had. And sometimes what's really challenging for me, and this sounds terrible, but I feel like autistic people generally will relate Nowadays, when I have a conversation, it's not a subject that I really know too strongly or have that interest in. 
I don't understand what's an appropriate question or response. I'm sat there thinking, well, I could talk about this experience from my perspective, but then it's shifting the conversation. And the other person generally isn't interested because they've started speaking about themselves. So that's a social faux pas. But then I don't know anything about this topic. And because it seems very small talk related to just ask a random question, I'm thinking, what do I ask? Especially because for me, I need someone to present the information. My mind, although very curious, isn't necessarily curious enough when someone else is speaking to think, to ask the next question. I'm thinking, well, if they care about this and they want to talk about it, they will just share it, right? But apparently that isn't the case. No, they want you to ask questions relevant to what they're talking about. So true. And you know, it's, it's an interesting thing, Callum, because I had to kind of learn this. First of all, one of the things that, that I do in Mind Your Autistic Brain and sort of the whole purpose of the, the name Mind Your Autistic Brain is because our brains are different. Our neurostructure is different. And one of the biggest aha sort of opened up my world things was learning how my brain is different and how it actually is functioning to the best of the knowledge that we have currently with fMRI and, and what's happening in the research world. And knowing that, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, I get that. And just knowing just some even just basic neuroscience is a tremendous help. And it, it was to me. So I try and share that a little bit as, as we go in the mind autistic brain community because our brain is such a big topic. You know, it, it impacts everything. It impacts your physical being. It's not just, you know, like so many of us have co-occurring conditions that come with it that are so common in our, our community that we have to talk about that. You can't just, you know, it's not like you just take your brain out and it's over here and your body's over here. They are connected, you know, everything, everything works in tandem and harmony sometimes, <laughs> sometimes not so much harmony, <laughs> we have dysymphony, but um, discord. But, you know, as, as we move through those aspects of our lives, and I think that is really one of the things that as we start to notice that, okay, my brain approaches this conversation differently, just knowing that, just the awareness of it takes that pressure off of feeling so darn lost. Exactly, because you know there's a reason for it. And I think that's the most powerful thing to think that you're not just messing up. It's not that you're inferior in some way. It's just that you have a different brain. And as you said, the fact that autism is related to the brain and that the brain controls the whole body means that autism impacts absolutely everything we do. I had someone comment recently that my posts just seem to be about various topics. There's not one clear direction. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's because autism impacts everything. It impacts how you feel about the weather. It impacts how you keep your personal space. It impacts how you go about your career, your relationships. Everything is impacted by autism. And that's not a negative thing at all. It's a brilliant thing to be different. But at the same time, because there's so much credence with relating to others and having this kind of herd mentality of being similar to many other people that it can be so difficult to be different and therefore it's very easy to feel as though you should be different to what you are and to be like everyone else so having an explanation as to why you dif why you're different and having that as a form of validation is so powerful it really is and, and one of the things you know there's been a recent conversation that i had somewhere in the world <laughs> 
<laughs> with 47 countries, I have lots of conversations all over the world. But one of them was, you know, did autism just develop? I mean, people just seem to be getting autism diagnoses and identifications more frequently now. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. Let's just back up for a second. Neuro, different neurotypes have been around since the beginning of time. Since humans have existed, we have existed. It's not like we just showed up in the middle of the night somewhere in the last century, right? Or two centuries ago. We have been part of humanity since the beginning of humanity. Different neurotypes have always existed. Now, we may have been called eccentric, we may have been called weird, we may have been called different, we may have been called crazy, we may have been called a lot of different things before autism came into an actual word of, of identification. But like my friend Jason says, if it were left to the rest of the world, they'd still be standing around in the cave talking about creating a wheel, <laughs> and we're the ones out actually designing and, and making a wheel. <laughs> so, you know, we've been around since the beginning and it's just that in this time that we live in, we're now being able to identify, oh, okay, so your brain just operates on a different way. Different parts of your brain engage to do the same thing that this person is doing. So if we're both juggling you know, juggling some basketballs, my brain is using different areas than yours. And it's not wrong. It's just different. And amazingly, so many of the ways that our brains do operate differently, humanity needs that. Because if we all operated the same way, if we all thought the same way, we'd still be standing in the cave talking about the wheel, but not even having a word for it, right? Yeah, and I think I agree with you. You're 100% right. And effectively, what's happened is there's just this improved understanding and improved identification there's not a greater proportion of autistic people nowadays. It's not something that's just come out of thin air. It's just society's gotten better at organising and explaining autistic people. It's not obviously up to scratch right yet. Um, right now, there's still so much room for improvement, of course. But nowadays, there is something we can identify as. And I think as well, what's so important, which so many people have yet to realise, is like you said, we are the ones that have gone out there and have achieved things. And that's not really being recognised. I mean, so many people keep saying about Albert Einstein being autistic, and I'm always happy to see that every time, because it's a reminder to me that often, though we have different brains, we're often perceived as eccentric or crazy or different in some way, that's a negative way. And that's just because society often places people's ability to socialise and act according to a certain set of social criteria. And that's prioritised and viewed as more valuable than other um, things that we can be doing, other forms of intelligence and other ways of going about life. And the reality is that going about life in a different way and perhaps not being as strong or on the same level socially as neurotypical people doesn't make us inferior. It just means that we have different strengths or that we go about things in a different way. And because we're a minority, that is why it's probably not recognised very well with the other, with the different. We're not just one of many different people that happen to be autistic. We are just unique. And that is a beautiful thing. But unfortunately, when so many people have the same brain type and only a few people have a different brain type, suddenly that's when people start to naturally see that as a flaw. That's what I think is such a wonderful place in where we are in the world right now is that there is a huge shift in that because there are more of us 
than we most than most of us realize. There are millions of us worldwide. And it is not as uncommon as once believed. And those numbers where you're saying, you know, like one in 59, it's it's now dropping, you know, one in 32, one in 29. And that's not an insignificant percentage of the global population. And I think the the probably the best part is that it is giving us this information about ourselves to go, you're not broken. You're not defective. You're not, you're not crazy. You're not all of the things that the world has told you in some way, either directly or indirectly. You just experience the world differently and it's okay. You are perfect just the way you are. And you are a vital part of humanity because the African word Ubuntu means I am because we are. That doesn't say that I am because, you know, you're like me. It says I am because we are collectively together. I'm my best self because you're your best self, whatever that is for you and whatever that is for me. And just to get to a place where we're not trying to sort people into little boxes anymore, where we can look at this person thinks differently and they can contribute in ways that I won't ever think about. And that is a beautiful thing because that is where that is where we find unity. That is where we find growth. That is where we find our humanity, which is so sorely missing in so many aspects of the world. Yeah, and that's so beautiful. I think you're 100% spot on there. We are all collectively fantastic when we are our natural selves and everybody's contributing in their own way. It's quite interesting because especially in the context of Pride Month, I was reading about the history of homosexuality a while ago and even back in caveman times apparently I've not found fantastic sources for this this is quite a a unique looking website but it mentioned that in olden times um, LGBTQ people that didn't have children played a fantastic role in raising and guiding the whole community's children and they would often be unique thinkers and because they weren't dealing with family obligations they had much more time just to help progress their local tribe or community to move forwards in life and to develop better and I think the same can be said for autistic people as well when we are left to thrive and we're able to really focus and hone in on our skills and not try to fit into boxes that are just not practical for us that's when we're able to contribute the most to society and we are all doing that sometimes with recognition sometimes without But I think as time goes on and autism is understood more and really influential people are much more open about their neurology, that's when people will start to recognize the beauty of our difference. Oh, yes, absolutely. And that is such a beautiful point to make because, you know, we are in Pride Month and that is you and I talked about before we started. We've both seen some, some really great posts this past week. We've seen some ones that were like, okay, that's not very kind. And that definitely is not loving. That has not come from a place of love. (laughs) But it, and it seems that if really, if you get to the heart of it, Callum, I think what I notice is that, you know, as autistics, we, we tend to be very entrenched in black and white thinking. You know, there are many of us that, and, and sometimes I think it's when we don't know enough about ourselves that we get in black and white thinking because we're trying to align with what we think the outside world expects of us. 
So what happens, I think, for just humanity, humans of all neurotypes, we get really entrenched and we get really mired down in our rightness of what, what we believe to be right and what we believe or deem to be wrong. When if you go through your whole life and all you do is assign right or wrong, good or bad to everything in your world, you limit the possibilities. Because as a scientist, I'm a possibilitarian, as Robin Sharma calls it, possibilitarian. I love his word. Um, I'm a possibilitarian in the sense that when I perform an experiment, when I go into research, I have a working hypothesis of what I anticipate the outcome to be. But I know that I'm probably going to be wrong about most of it. I might be right on some of it, but I'm open to whatever is going to happen. And I'm not going to assign a right or a wrong to it because what do I truly know? Because understanding and knowing are two different things. I can read something and understand it. Like I can understand swimming, but if I've never been in the water, I don't know what it's like to swim. And I think so many people get entrenched in, in their belief of their rightness that they feel like they have to defend it. They have to speak out and they have to get very dogmatic and very um, fanatical almost about their rightness because if you're wrong about this, you could be wrong about so many other things. And that's sometimes too much for the human brain to take in, the soul to take in, right? Exactly. And, and you talk about the intersection in autism and, and LGBTQ+. And it really is. It really is. And I think that the more we can have a conversation about it, the more we can share our experiences as autistic people and our sexuality, because it's a very different thing. Because we have sensories, things that come into play. You know, we also just have alexithymia. How do I even identify what it is that I'm feeling? You know, sometimes that happens. And I think that each person needs to have the freedom to not be criticized or judged externally because we do enough of that on our own. We don't need any help. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we really don't need anybody helping us with that. We do. We are mean enough to ourselves all alone. Just to be able to say, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what I am experiencing. I'm not sure what I'm feeling, you know, and maybe whatever society or, or family dynamic you're in, you know, they lay out from the time you're a child, your family, your school, your church, you know, your community is teaching you what they deem to be socialized norms and what's right, what's going to serve you best, what's going to keep you safe, because that's really sort of where all this comes from is how does it keep us safe? How do we stay comfortable? And sometimes as an autistic, that everything about our world's uncomfortable, including sometimes how we feel and think about our own sexuality. What are your thoughts on that, Calum? Yeah, I think it's so difficult because you're trying to navigate two very big things that are interlinked. Having a different neurotype is perceived as this bad thing. Obviously, it's a fantastic thing. And once you get to that point, which can take a while, that really opens up your world. But to then have your sexuality and say that deviates from heterosexuality in some way, then that's still perceived as something that's still inferior by a lot of people. Not many. I think the concept of pride for differences in terms of sexuality and gender, 
that's much of a bigger concept than pride about neurodiversity. I think the world is much more accepting to different genders and to different sexualities. But having said that, when the two worlds combine, it feels like it becomes an entirely different animal because sexuality is such a personal thing as well. And when it comes to a sensory level, that's when topics get very deep. I mean, I personally wouldn't feel comfortable writing on Instagram about how I feel about being touched in certain areas or something. And I wouldn't expect someone else to discuss that as well. So what can be scary about navigating that side of life as well is the fact that you're doing it practically on your own. And in some ways that kind of has to be how it is unless there's people that are comfortable sharing really intimate things and risking what will be an enormous backlash if they do. So I think that can be very challenging. And I think as well, when you are different in two ways, suddenly that becomes a double strike. It's two layers of complexity. It's two things that people are ignorant about. It's two things that you can be judged for. Now, of course, in time, once you accept yourself and you accept your sexuality, you accept your neurology, that's when you're in a really powerful position because then other people's words will not affect you. But it can be so difficult to get to that point. And what's quite interesting is I consider myself to have fully accepted my sexuality and my neurology. But at the same time, whenever someone comments a really ignorant comment in relation to either of those, that still really does irritate me deep down. It's funny because it doesn't shake my sense of worth, but it just really ignites that fire within me. And it takes a lot to really take the high road and to respond in a way that's impactful and is important for everyone else to read and to see me defend, but at the same time isn't contributing hate to this world because all judgment in a way is a form of hate. Oh, and I think you used a really key word there. You said, how do I respond? There's a difference. You can react, and that is usually from a very deep emotional feeling that you experience, and you don't contemplate or think about how will this impact the other person? Will it even impact the other person? Sometimes is the better question when we come across things like that, when we come across these really irritating comments of ignorance sometimes. And and that's part of that person's journey. You know, sometimes that's part of their journey is that they just, they don't know yet. They're still living with blinders on and they may die with their blinders on. But is it sometimes my responsibility to remove their blinders in one way where I react or is it maybe helping them along their journey if I respond in a very thoughtful way where I'm doing it with kindness, where I'm doing it with gentleness. Because it's easy to react. It really is. It's easy to just shoot off a really nasty, just don't be so stupid. What is wrong with you? Just giant bigot. I mean, anything like that. You know, I mean, all the stuff that you, you think in your head sometimes or just block somebody. You know, sometimes you do, you gotta, you gotta set your healthy boundaries to protect your space and your, and your other people. And I think that's my biggest thing. It's like, I'm pretty tough in a lot of ways. I, I can handle that, but I don't worry about me. I worry about my community. I worry about how will this impact my community and the people that I seek to keep safe and, and protect and put a safe environment so that people know that they can come here and be themselves for the first time because that's one of the hardest parts, I think, along our journey is finding a safe place where we can be vulnerable, where we can be brave and courageous and share what we've had going on in our heads and our bodies our whole life that we just thought wasn't 
working for us. Yeah, I think you're so right there. And when you do have an account or you have a community as you do, other people are involved and they're regularly getting involved, then you have this responsibility to make sure that if people perceive it as a safe space, that it is a safe space to some extent. Of course, you can't control somebody infiltrating your community or your Instagram post and spreading nasty comments. But at the same time, it is important that you deal with it in some capacity. It's quite interesting because my natural response to a lot of ignorance in 2021 is just to think, oh, you know, this comment's really ridiculous. I'm just going to ignore it and leave it there. It's not worth me deleting. It's just so ridiculous. And at the same time, I don't necessarily feel like educating someone who's commented something that I feel is just riddled with hate. I feel they've got some stuff to work on before I do that. But what I also have to bear in mind, and which has been guiding me recently, is the fact that when other people are on my posts and they're in the comments, it doesn't necessarily give the best impression if the person who's running the account isn't actually doing something to police the comments. So nowadays, I'm not one for reacting or posting anything overly emotional, but I try to really strike that balance between being polite, kind if I can be, but at the same time very firm and very, I think, strong in my approach because I want to show people that I take everything that's said seriously and that this is a safe space and that certain behaviour will just not be tolerated. I have to admit I have become fond of the block button, not when people just have a difference of opinion or when they've just said something I disagree with or they've written something horrible but if somebody responds more than twice with something and it turns into this unpleasant conversation and I see them as people that are just too far gone for my purposes of course they can always grow on their own and they can grow with the help of therapists and other people but at the same time I'm not just having that negativity become a river of negativity on my page that everybody's going to read and argue about because that isn't a safe space yeah I, I agree. And it that really does. And I don't know that that everyone who doesn't run an account with a community may necessarily gets that sometimes. You know, there's a lot that we have to mentally and emotionally put into this. And there's a lot of growth that we have to do. You know, just over the last year, um, that's been a really big thing as I've had to acknowledge what my healthy boundaries are, but the healthy boundaries of my community. And one of the big questions in that is, is this person capable? Do they have the capacity to learn? Do they want to learn? Do they want to grow and change? Or are they just really mired in in what they're believing and where they are right now? And maybe I don't need them where they are. I'm not their person, which is the whole point of this talk show to start with is because if I'm not your person, I'm going to introduce you to your person along the way. Callum, I might not be your person. Callum may totally be your person. And I want you to meet Callum because I don't, not everybody has to like me. I'm okay with that. But what I'm not okay with is if you're by yourself and you can't or don't have a way or don't know how to meet your person. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful response to have to think about directing people to the right area. So I think that does take a lot of growth as well. And it's so difficult to really understand where someone else is coming from sometimes to really understand what it is they need. And I often do feel this sense of guilt sometimes that perhaps I should be giving more to a situation just because someone has come my way. 
but at the same time you can't be the driving force behind other people's understanding and their actions yes of course you can help them in some capacity but at the same time growth is very much a personal thing i think you have to be the person to instigate a lot of that growth and to really start any sort of growth journey so i found that when somebody's come to me and they've not really shown willingness they've not done a very basic google <laughs> of anything that they're complaining about or telling me about or they're just consistently nasty or derogatory in some way i'm sat here thinking you are not in a place for me to assist you right now and i can't really direct you to anyone else i feel as though before you even speak to anyone else you just need to have this basic understanding of yourself and your thoughts and how you would like to grow as a person because there's only so much other people can do and i think external support is something that often is best to come further down the line i think that's such a beautiful and kind way to approach that so callum if you had to say what your the best thing is that you have discovered about yourself or the world along your autism journey what would you say that is oh wow that's such a big question i I have to be because I'm always practical. I have to say it's all the good skills that have come through being neurodivergent. Now, I know every autistic person's different, so this isn't a comment on my autism being fantastic because I can do xyz. We all have different skills and other people will be able to do things that I can't and other people equally will be able to do all of the same things that I can. But I have to say I find hyper focus just really helpful. I think it's saved me from failure in so many different ways. And I've not been able to commit to something in the same way that neurotypical people have, but then I've been able to just sit there for five hours and get it done. I think pattern spotting has been so useful because even if I don't necessarily understand certain people, or I don't understand social conventions in the same way they do, or I don't naturally converse in the way that they do, I can still understand, okay, if I say this, this person's going to say that. So that's been really helpful, not just through practical purposes but social purposes as well i think heightened sensitivity has been really helpful too because it's made me feel more in tune with the world and there are so many other skills i could go into um i think i'll just finish it so this doesn't become a long list or rant and say that i'm so grateful for my ability to memorize information and to remember things i do think autism has had a huge impact on my memory and while of course my brain can sometimes hold on to the things i wish that it wouldn't it can be so helpful in other ways i can remember really important dates and occasions i can remember knowledge that i might need to just pull out of a hat one day so i think i would say all of the skills that autism has given me and has given other people too and i think that was a huge part of my initial understanding of autism as a difference and not an inferiority in some way because i could sit and think well yeah neurotypical people are telling me that I can't do xyz or I'm not on their level on xyz but at the same time I can do abc in a way that they never could so that was really important for me okay so if I had like one of those buttons where we could push and it would be like cheering <laughs> in the background <laughs> difference not inferiority oh man yes such a beautiful, beautiful answer. And I think that just hit home with so many people who are sharing the show with us today. Callum, before we go, I would love for you to share one thing that you would really love for the autistic that's on the other side today, who's just starting their journey. 
what's something you would like them to know? Well, I actually wrote this down because when you sent me this question, I was thinking so many different things. And I think I'd summarize it as being fearless in supporting yourself because you will encounter so much ignorance just through other people not understanding you. It might not be with bonus, but that doesn't mean it's not impactful. It means that you won't necessarily be exposed to knowledge about yourself and your brain that is really important for you to have. It means that people won't understand when you say that you have certain needs. It often means they might box you into particular categories that aren't necessarily right for you and you might not be able to thrive in certain environments. So I think the best thing that I would say to other people is just to really make sure that you're your biggest champion and you are constantly willing to learn and to grow as a person and that no matter how supportive or unsupportive other people are, that you're always going to consistently be your champion. That's not to say your journey will be easy or that you won't have self-doubt along the way because it's human nature to question yourself every so often and autistic people often question themselves more than most. So I'd say just try as much as possible to make sure that you're constantly supporting yourself, you're advocating for your needs, no matter what anybody is saying to you. Oh, that is so perfect and beautiful. Oh, guys, if you have not found that place where you are being your own best champion each and every day, and believe me, that's going to look different every day. Some days you're going to feel really crappy. Some days everything is going wrong. Some days even your coffee tastes bad. It doesn't matter. It's just been one of those days, you know. On those days, you don't have to show up and be the absolute picture perfect model of a champion. You just have to be fearless to say, today's a really crap day. Nothing's going well, but I'm going to continue to do what's best for me and do the things that I know help me get to the next day, which is hopefully going to look better. And that first sip of coffee is going to taste right. <laughs> Callum House, thank you so much for being here. If you are looking for community, if you are looking for your people, if you haven't found them yet, meet Callum House and join Adulting with Autism on Instagram. He has beautiful posts. He talks about all things autism related and then some because he's got a really beautiful account where he just kind of shares his everyday life too. So be sure to check it out. You're going to find amazing insights. You're going to find your people. And if you haven't found them yet, here we are. <laughs> we're so glad you're here. You're not alone, my friend. And along this journey, we're learning together. Callum, thanks so much for being here. Is there anything in particular you want to share before you go today? I just want to say thank you so much for having me, Carol Jean. It's been wonderful meeting you. I was going to say in person, but kind of virtually, at least seeing you in live time. Um, You've been a delight and I love your content. Your social audio Instagram account is amazing and so inspiring. You do so much. So I feel really privileged to be sat here speaking to you today. Oh, well, thank you so much. I am. So, it's such an honor to have you because really, truly, my friend, you make a difference in the world and you've made a difference in mine. And for that, I am truly thankful. Thank you. And the same to you, Carol Jean. Everybody have a great day. I'll see you next week. Take care. I've got some surprises in store this month, so don't miss out. Talk to you soon. If you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life, please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late-identified autistic's life. Be sure to tag me at Social Audi so I can personally say thank you. 
And to help keep the talk show ad-free, please consider becoming a one-time or recurring supporter through either Buy Me a Coffee or the Anchor Podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener and thank you for adding your voice to our story.